You're listening to Let's Talk Creation with Todd Wood and Paul Garner, the creation show where we learn, grow, and worship. Well, welcome everybody to another episode of Let's Talk Creation with Paul Garner and Todd Wood. I'm Paul Garner. And I'm Todd Wood. And uh, we are in the season of fundraising, Todd. We, um, yeah. we, do, this every, we do this every year. Um, why, why don't you tell our, our viewers and listeners about ways that they can help to support the podcast? Sure, yeah. It's time for a pledge break here. So um, I want to remind everybody that uh, if you enjoy this podcast, um, we are basically dependent on donations to make it uh, possible. Keep it going. It costs about $600 an episode, which works out to about $17,000 a year to put this production on. It's quite a big deal. Um, so we appreciate your support. We're looking to uh, basically pay for the podcast uh, this this December and, and November, if we can. And um, if you would like to make a donation, you can go to letstalkcreation.org, and where you will find the donation pages for both Biblical Creation Trust and Core Academy of Science. If you're in the U.S., you can go straight to coresci.org slash donate. at C-O-R-E-S-C-I dot O-R-G slash donate, and that will give you instructions on where you can make a contribution. Paul, where would I go if I was in Europe or the UK? Yeah, if you go to biblicalcreationtrust.org, there's a link to our giving page, and you can find all of the different ways to give right there. All right, fabulous. And uh, I also want to mention this. If you have an idea for an episode and you really want us to consider it, uh, you can consider sponsoring a whole episode. We can also do sponsors if, you, if you're organizing a conference or you have a business that you would like to advertise. We can consider those as well. Just let us know or write us at podcast at corsi.org and we will uh, get back to you with that uh, information on how you might want to, you might be able to uh, sponsor an episode. 600 bucks, that's an episode, so let us know. We did, we did two of them this year, Paul. We did the, the, uh, we did. the, uh, the Joshua Tree episode was uh, that's right. a sponsored episode. And the Behemoth and Leviathan episode was a sponsored episode. So we are very yeah. grateful to all of our listeners and audience members who have made all of that possible. Yeah. And they were great. They were really good episodes. Yeah. We really enjoyed doing those. Yeah. Um, yeah. So anyway, let's come to the topic of today's episode. Uh, at the end of November, um, there is a very important celebration. Happens every year. Sometimes, um, yeah. Uh, and uh, it's uh, this year. It's the twenty third of November, and that is um, the sixtieth anniversary of the very first episode of Doctor Who being broadcast. Naturally, um, so I'm so I'm celebrating um, here in the UK um, <laughs> and um, giving thanks for my favourite TV program. Yeah, there you go. Um, but. <laughs> I think you guys over there are doing something different on the twenty third of November. We, we usually, yeah, we have this so, this um, Thanksgiving holiday, right? It is right, basically an American holiday. I, I guess some other places have tried to adopt a thanks uh, holiday as well, a gratitude holiday, um, but it's mostly an American thing. You guys are celebrating Doctor Who over there in the UK. <laughs> uh, everybody else is going to work like it's a normal work day. But over here in the U.S., uh, yeah, it's Thanksgiving week, and we're getting ready to uh, gather with family and feast upon a feast of mm, turkey and mashed potatoes and ham and all that good stuff. 
And yeah, and, and hopefully we take some time to also um, remember our creator and, and give thanks for uh, the good things that he has given us in creation, as well as uh, for our salvation through Jesus Christ. Yeah, so yeah, happy Thanksgiving, Paul. Or happy yeah, uh, Doctor Who anniversary. <laughs> <laughs> well, happy Thanksgiving to you, Todd. Um, well, thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we, we uh, as we did last year, we want to do a special Thanksgiving episode. And, and so um, we were thinking about what topic um, to, to kind of pick. And uh, we decided this year to talk about um, one of the great geological wonders of the world. And that is the Grand Canyon in Arizona. Uh, so every year, about 5 million tourists, I believe, um, come to visit the canyon, um, hike its trails, uh, you know, look at that incredible yeah. vista yeah. from the overlooks. And, um, you know, even some, t- some of them raft down the, the river. Yeah. And, have you, have uh, you been to ca- the canyon, Paul? I've been more than once. More yeah, than I've once? done the river trip. Oh, I've done the river trip. Well. I've hiked some of the trails. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and you've been. You've also been to Grand Canyon. I've been you? twice. Yep. Once as yep. mostly a tourist, and another time I attempted some hiking on one of the uh, off off the off the beaten path trails. Um, one of the rare trails. I thought I could get down to the Red Wall. Uh, limestone uh-huh. in a day. It turns out that's really not going to happen. <laughs> so <laughs> okay. I spent six hours and basically made made it to the to the Coconino sandstone, and then I turned around and came back because it was clear we were not going to get to the Red Wall. But anyway, yeah, yeah, been there, hiked it, a lot of fun, beautiful place. It's it's big, um, and yeah, it takes a while to hike down, doesn't it, to get to those rock does, units? Yeah. So. So we thought we'd we'd talk about Grand Canyon because Grand Canyon is more than simply um, this extraordinary natural feature. As we're going to find out in today's episode, it is also a remarkable testimony to what God has done in history and to God's glory and to his goodness. Uh, And so we thought that was a very appropriate topic for the Thanksgiving holiday. And to help us talk about this, we are being joined today by a very special guest, uh, Nate Loper of Canyon Ministries. So Nate, Welcome to the show. It's really good to have you. Well, thanks, Paul. It's glad to, I'm glad to be here with you and with Todd and all the friends of Let's Talk Creation. So thanks. Uh, good to see you guys. Good to yeah, see it's you. great to have you. Now, now, it's not the first time you've been on the podcast because I did interview you when I was over at the ICC. Um, so our viewers will have, perhaps if they saw that episode, they will, they will have seen our interview. But Nate, for those who are not familiar with you and with Canyon Ministries, just tell us a bit about yourself and you know who you are and your background. Yeah, so I get the amazing privilege of serving as the executive director for Canyon Ministries. And so since 1997, we have been running uh, creation-based tours at the Grand Canyon National Park. Um, River trips and backpacking trips and hiking tours and uh, daily tours along the rim. So we do tours every day of the week, except for Sunday, uh, year-round. And so... Um, between three and 4,000 people a year that join us on trips and tours through the Grand Canyon National Park. And uh, Paul, I get the best job in the world. I get to come out there and see the Grand Canyon and call that my office and work with an amazing team of, of other, other guides that we have, really using that canyon for God's glory and uh, showcasing that natural wonder uh, to people all over the world and using it as a tool to point them to Jesus Christ. Mm, that's absolutely fantastic. Wow. Yeah, I mean, what what a place to work. 
Um, so you're executive director of, of Canyon Ministries, um, and you, you helped us sort of lead the tours. Um, but what, what did you do before you joined Canyon Ministries? Just tell us a bit about, about that. Yeah, so before that, I was a pastor. So I served mm. as a pastor for about 12 years in ministry. And a funny thing about that, originally, I thought I was going to go into geology. And so that was my plan, and I was going to go into geology and do things like that. And so that was the course that I had set. And uh, God had other plans in mind, called me into ministry. Um, I didn't finish up that degree in that, that course, so I went into ministry. And, you know, Paul, at that point, I thought I was never going to use rocks and geology and science because what use are rocks and geology and science in the church, right? <laughs> so I just kind of thought, oh, that's just a side issue. Let me just leave that alone. And oh, well, you know, my passion, my interest, you know, I'll just put it to the side. Uh, little did I know that God knew exactly what he was doing the whole time uh, in knitting me together, you might say. Uh, in the midst of that, found out about organizations that, you know, use rocks and science and geology, you know, creation science, you might say. And it was all, it's like a light bulb just came on and I was like, oh my goodness, I know exactly what God has called me to now. And all those interests, all those other passions are all things that he has placed in my heart. And so now what I get a chance to do, you guys, is I take God's word and I take those rocks and science and geology and daily get to put those things together. And it is phenomenal to be able to serve God in a way that you love and the passion that you have and all those things given, I believe, by him. So I think it's pretty neat. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And I, I also uh, understand you have a bit of an interest in Egyptology, although that's not the topic for today. Um, t tell us about that. Yeah, well, my background really educationally now currently is in archaeology. Um, you know, the focus on biblical archaeology, but especially Egyptology. and so. I am finishing up a master's degree uh, in ancient civilizations, and so my whole focus with this is Egyptology, basically dealing with the timeline of the entry of Jacob and Joseph into Israel all the way down to the time of Moses, kind of starting with this uh, 12th dynasty, especially the second intermediate period. So just really trying to find and see where we find really solid evidence in Egypt and for the Hebrew people entering into that land. And so that's been my research project. And so just had a trip up there in Egypt in January, going back uh, in November here. So actually, wow. um, we'll be wrapping up that here by the end of November. We're going to have well, to have you I mean, back. I, yeah, we're going to have to have you back and talk yeah, about that. So the, this multi-talented multi guy <laughs> with lots of, lots of different interests. And yeah, that, that's something we haven't talked about on the podcast, but we, we'd love to do that. Um, so anyway, the topic today, of course, is is Grand Canyon, and uh, you know you mentioned that you're executive director of Canyon Ministries. Yeah. And uh, I, when I went into the canyon, and I I went on the raft trip. That was the first time I'd ever been to Grand Canyon. So that was my introduction to the canyon. Was doing the white water <laughs> sort of rafting. Fantastic um, way to begin. Yeah. Um, the the guy who led that raft trip was Tom Vale. Mm -hmm. uh, so. Could you tell us, Nate, a bit about the kind of history of Canyon Ministries and the involvement of Tom and, you know, yeah, ju ju just fill us in on how it all began. Yeah, I would love to. It's a fantastic story. So Tom Vale, our founder, um, became a river guide in the Grand Canyon back in around 1983. And in those days, he wasn't a Christian. And so he, you know, led people through the Grand Canyon, told the typical story of the millions and billions of years and you know, basically the, the line that he was given to tell. And in the midst of that, he started having his own questions even about the Grand Canyon and about this formation idea, because 
what he was being told to tell people didn't quite match up to what he was seeing in the rocks around him. And even, even then, he started questioning and saying, I'm, I'm not sure about that. In the midst of all that, um, he had a passenger who joined him on a river trip, and her name was Paula. And Paula was a Christian believer, and Paula kept having these questions for Tom, like, you know, Tom, what is the meaning of life? And what happens after you die? And, you know, all these questions that he didn't really think about, didn't really care about. But, boy, she kept, you know, talking to him about it. And they actually had a good friendship, a good relationship. And so after that trip, uh, they stayed in touch back and forth. And uh, Tom, at one point, was getting ready to do a backpacking trip in the Himalayas. And so as he was heading out to there, um, Paula had sent him a Bible and said, you know, basically, Tom, something to read if you have any time. And, you know, Tom, I don't think really thought he would have much time because he's backpacking, but he threw it in his bag. And, well, God had a fantastic plan in mind because when they got there to the base camp, um, there was a big snowstorm that came rolling in. And Tom had nothing to do for a few days but to sit there. And he pulled out this Bible. So, well, might as well start reading it. So he started reading it. And in the midst of that, really started getting excited and interested in reading about the life of Christ and then going to the beginning of this book and reading about Genesis and the creation account and the flood and things started to really make sense. And Apollo had written in that book a, a prayer kind of on the inside cover, kind of a sinner's prayer. It is right there, kind of at the base of the Himalayas that Paul, uh, that, uh, that Tom came to Christ at that point. And um, so through the act of one brave young woman, you might say, Pestering this poor lost boatman, as Tom would say, he came to Christ. And so you might say that Paula helped lead him to Christ. And then not long after that, Tom led her down the aisle. So Tom and Paula Vale got married and in 1997 founded Canyon Ministries. Because at that point, Tom still loved the river. He had a whole nother love in his life. And that was Jesus Christ and said, hey, I want to use this canyon and show, show people God's amazing creation. So that was the birth of Canyon Ministries. And since then, we've grown from uh, about 11 people on a single river trip all the way to, like I said, three to 4,000 people a year that come through on trips and tours. And it's fantastic. It's an incredible story. You can read more about on those details on our website, too. But just a beautiful story that how God works in the humblest and simplest of ways. Yeah, that's great. And Tom has written a couple of books about um, Grand Canyon as well. I've actually got one of his books yeah. here. This is Grand Canyon, A Different View. Um, and uh, he, he's, he's a real character. Um, and, uh, you know, I was, I was so privileged to, to have him um, and the other guys le leading that trip. Um, it was great, great to, to get to know him. And actually, Excellent. Tom came over to the UK after I'd been on the, the trip. He, he and Paula came over here and, um, you know, he had a few speaking engagements here. And so it was, it was great to have that connection with him um excellent so so tell us so after this ministry began um tell us a bit about the subsequent history of the ministry and then how you came to be involved nate yeah so for the first few years all we did were you know these christian river trips through the grand canyon and then um in 2013 we decided let's expand what we're doing to more people and um, a little bit easier for some folks to do things like a tour along the rim you know, less time, less commitment, and some people just can't quite be on a river trip. You know, there's some difficulties uh, sometimes with the river. So we decided to start rim tours. And so those are basically tours along the rim of the Grand Canyon where we have our own vehicles and we take folks to the very best overlooks of the park while showcasing different things in geology that show us, you know, the creation account and show us, you know, where the flood began. So that started there. And then 
Um, we developed some hiking tours. So going down like the South Kaibab Trail. So we've got a five to six hour hiking tour that happens. And so we're getting hands on with some of the geology. You know, we're getting down to places where we can get hands on with these rocks and see that up close and personal. And then uh, 2020, we decided let's start some backpacking trips. So multi-day backpacking trips anywhere from oh three to five days across the Grand Canyon at times. And then also up into Utah, some places that we go up into the Grand Staircase. And so those backpacking trips through the Grand Canyon allow us to get down to places like, you know, the Great Unconformity, where there's a massive erosional boundary where we believe the beginning of the flood happened and really see fossils and those features of the canyon up close. And so that's what we're doing now. We are covering the canyon from top to bottom and basically everywhere in between. That's great. I the tour that I went on uh, back in, I think it was May 2004, uh, was run by the Institute for Creation Research. It was one, it was one of their trips. And uh, as I say, Tom was the, the kind of river guide. And uh, we had uh, Andrew Snelling and Steve Austin with us as the, the two geologists. And the first time I saw Grand Canyon was when they took us out to Mather Point at sunset. Yeah. And we arrived, you know, to watch the sun setting over Grand Canyon. And it was just fabulous, you know. Um, and, you know, I was kind of just just awestruck with this this vista you know, that was kind of spread out before us. I think I was quite quiet because one of the ICR um, <laughs> people spoke to me and, and, and said, you know, did, did you enjoy that? <laughs> I think it's just our <laughs> British sort of understated way, yes, you know. I, yes. <laughs> but, yeah, it was absolutely fabulous. And... Um, yeah. yeah, so if you get an opportunity to do you know, the rim tour or the hiking tour, the backpacking, or if you get to go down the river, you know, I really encourage you to to do it because it's a it's such a fabulous experience. And um, Nate, one of the other things that I know uh, you've been involved in over the years are, are Christian leaders trips. Yes, uh, could you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, so for the past 15 years, we had run a Christian leaders trip. And so what that is, is kind of a scholarship-based trip where we invite Christian leaders from around the world to join us on a seven-day river trip through the Grand Canyon. And so these are leaders of like Christian denominations, of seminaries, you know, a lot of people basically, we try to get people down there to really teach the teachers and, you know, influence the influencers. And so we specifically designed that trip not just full of a bunch of young earth creationists, but maybe some people who also you know, are Christians, but maybe believe in an old earth creation, as well as some who are maybe kind of on the fence and never really thought about the issue so much. We intentionally bring a mixed group so that we can have the best amount of conversation and discussion and dialogue. And those trips have a lot of teaching involved in there. And that was actually my first river trip through the Grand Canyon as well. I was invited back in 2011 to join them on the Christian leaders trip. And so you might say, Paul, that I'm here now. Um, I've been here going on 10 years with Candy Ministries, but I'm here as a result of that Christian leaders trip as well. And so now currently we are looking to expand that idea and that vision of kind of scholarship-based trips and engaging in, in many other ways beyond just the single river trip Christian leaders trip. But Paul, I know you've also been on that Christian leaders trip as well, haven't you? Well, it was an ICR trip, but okay. it, it was it was at the it was at the invitation of ICR. They there they they asked me to go on that trip. Um, and you had a lot of great teachers and speakers on that trip, I'm sure. We did. Uh, it was yeah. it was really yeah. I mean, what an experience, uh, you know, to be able to to raft down the river. I made the mistake on the first day of sitting right at the front of the raft 
um, <laughs> and finding that you, you got completely soaked every time you went through the rapids. So absolutely, <laughs> <laughs> but you soon dry out because it's it's so hot. But uh, yeah, what a fabulous what a fabulous experience. Todd, um, you haven't been on the down the river, but no. you you've kind of hiked in into Grand Canyon. I mean, what what are your impressions of Grand Canyon when you saw it for the first time? Uh, it's overwhelming in scale. I think mm-hmm. that's really you see pictures of it and you sort of think, okay, I, I get it, I know what this is, and then you get there <laughs> and it's so much bigger and grander than you really are able to appreciate, I think. It's just overwhelming. The size yeah. is just astonishing. And and that that's my big memory. When I first when when I first drove up and parked and got out and walked up to the rim and just thinking, this is this is gigantic. <laughs> Yeah. This is just yeah. gigantic. And then, but then, you know, you'd think that would be, that would do it, right? And you, I would be prepared. The second time I go, I took my wife and we went, and we were absolutely um, convinced we were going to hike into the canyon, like I said, down to the Red Wall, which is pretty far down. Um, we picked a trail, in we go. Uh, and it is treacherous going. It is very steep going into the canyon. And it's three hours into the hike, and we can see that we are not getting close to our destination. Um, and we know we don't want to be caught down there in the, the heat of the day and getting dehydrated and so forth. And so um, then we hit the Coconino. Now, for those of you who don't know, the Coconino is like, the very, not quite the very top, but it's right underneath the top layers of the canyon. I mean, it's barely in there. And I realized <laughs> this thing is so much bigger than you could possibly yeah, imagine. Yeah. So we ended up turning around at that point, going back to the, back to the, our, our rental car. So that was, that was uh, 6 a.m. to 1 p.m. hike there. Um, and we basically just, I don't know, basically just scratched literally scratched the surface of the canyon (laughs) it's just it's just overwhelming and and beautiful and astonishing yeah two two things that that made me realize you know how how enormous the canyon is when when you're on the river trip and you begin by going through marble canyon from from lee's ferry and when you come out of marble canyon and you get into sort of the grand canyon proper it this it just opens up. Mm-hmm. There's just this vast sort of canyon, and you realise how far away the the north and south rim rims are, and it's just this sort of big open space. It's just incredible. Uh, you get a different sense, I think, when you're on the river than you do just looking in from the rim. Sure. And the the other thing was when when we hiked out, we hiked out along the Bright Angel Trail, and you think you're sort of beginning to get near the, near the top. Uh, and it's not until actually you begin to see the people on the overlooks and you see how <laughs> tiny they are, you realize how badly you misjudged the distances because there's just wow. nothing for scale, you know, to, to kind of, yeah. Wow. So, how, yeah. How long it, is the hike from Bright Angel from the river to, to the rim on Bright Angel? I'm trying to remember how long it took us. I mean, it was, it was some hours because yeah. – um, we we uh, cut you kind of go up these switchbacks. Um, right. I think they call it the Devil's Corkscrew, and we 
and, and and then you you get onto the Tonto platform and it all sort of levels out a bit, and then you kind of it gets steep again and uh, and there are lots of switchbacks again and wow. um, it's it's a lot it's a long hike yeah it's yeah. a long hike yeah. Yeah. I can't remember how many hours it took me but yeah <laughs> anyway uh, yeah so absolutely fantastic right um, Nate. Uh, People have got to visit, right? So the, they've got to come and come and see it for themselves. Yeah. Now I know, I, I know that um, when I looked at the Canyon Ministries website, I had a look at your mission statement, and the mission statement says that um, your ministry is dedicated to presenting the evidence in and around Grand Canyon, which supports a young Earth. So I thought we, you know, we ought to talk about this. So we we ought to talk about some of the ways that. Grand Canyon sort of showcases the evidence for creation in the young earth because that's one of the things you want to go and show people, right? So, right. yeah, just, just just tell us some of the things that people are going to see and, you know, how you help to sort of interpret it for them. Yeah, so some of those features that we find in the Grand Canyon, I think really are a testimony to the global flood in Noah's day. You know, we start off with a foundational belief that God created things as recorded in the Bible's book of Genesis. And then Genesis 6, 7, and 8 talk about the ark and the flood. And I think when you understand what the flood is all about, you realize that this is the largest geological change, you know, perhaps that the world has seen before or since. It's a major, huge catastrophe that the Bible actually outlines for us. And so when you understand that, you start with scripture, I think it helps us understand a lot of what we see in the world around us in science. And so some of those things that we see and point out, one of my favorite things to talk about as we're down there. And pointing out the layers of the canyon is really the beginning of these kind of flat, horizontal, sedimentary rock units. And uh, starting with the Tapete's sandstone, we have this stack of layers working their way up. And at the bottom of that Tapete sandstone, what we find is a feature known as the Great Unconformity. Now, the Great Unconformity is a place where the rocks don't conform, you might say. And so really, an unconformity represents a, a pretty big erosional boundary. Now, we have multiple unconformities within the Grand Canyon, and geologists call unconformities around the world. But this is the great unconformity because there's a pretty good amount of erosion, and this physical feature is found many places around the world. So if you think about it, if you have a worldwide physical feature, there must have been a worldwide mechanism or worldwide event, you might say, to be able to produce it. And that worldwide event and mechanism, this is a massive amount of erosion. And when we look at that first rock layer, that Tapete sandstone, we have direct physical evidence, and geologists agree with this, that it was deposited by fast-moving water. So if you start to put it together and think about it, we have direct evidence that there was a worldwide physical feature, worldwide event of fast-moving water, because that same Tapete sandstone equivalent, you can trace across the United States, you can trace across North Africa, and continuing on to the east. And so we see that same kind of sandstone unit. And so the way that we interpret that, the way that we see that, this, we believe, is part of the beginning of the flood in Noah's day, right around the beginning stages. Underneath that level, underneath that Tapete sandstone, we really don't have a fossil record by and large. It's in that Tapete sandstone and then on up that the fossil record is where we actually find it around the world. That great unconformity is also where we have what's called that Cambrian explosion an explosion of life, they say, within the fossil record. But really, fossils are not living things. They are dead things, right? 
And so I would say it's not an explosion of life that we find worldwide. Rather, it's an explosion of death that we we find worldwide. Death and burial and water-laid sediments, and that's around the world. So you might say there's an explosion of erosion coinciding with this Cambrian explosion. And again, those two things are a worldwide feature. And to me, when I start thinking about it, I see this as the beginning of the flood because it's exactly the kind of thing you'd expect to find. Worldwide waters carrying tremendous amounts of dirt, debris, and sediment across the world, burying plants and animals, and starting across the world this massive amount of destruction. And so I see that as hand in hand. So for me, if I were to point out like one physical feature, that's what I would showcase. Um, but we have a lot of other stuff. And that's why it takes us, you know, a four hour tour is the, the shortest tour we do. But even then, we can't pack in all the geology, even on a seven or nine day river trip. We still don't get to everything we could cover. And that is the glory of God as he is, you know, we can't comprehend his glory, nor all the events of creation. And the Grand Canyon doesn't speak to everything, but I think there are some really key features we find there. And Paul, I don't think there's a better place on the planet to see and to study and to understand flood geology like we have at the Grand Canyon. That's why we do what we do. That's why we do those tours there. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a great place because you've, you've got a really good cross-section through the, the geological column, particularly if you then include the, the younger rocks, as, mm-hmm. as you were mentioning earlier, as you go kind of northwards into southern Utah you begin to climb that grand staircase and you get into the younger sediments. So you've got a really nice geological column. And because northern Arizona is, is, is basically hot and dry, um, it's not like the yeah. eastern US where it's all covered up in vegetation. <laughs> it's, it's, the rocks are nicely exposed, so you can, you can see the rocks. And, yeah, uh, ge- yeah geology, it's, it's... geology in the Smoky Mountains is a bit tedious because you just have to keep driving <laughs> until you find a little road cut or something where, where the rocks yeah, are exposed. Yeah. Exactly. We yeah. do many trips with Andrew Snelling and he's always, you know, he's glad for that, but he's always talking about those pesky plants that get in the way of his rocks, you know, so <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we have so a great, great feature here. Yeah, yeah, that's great. And um, and the Tapit Sandstone is not the only uh, rock unit like that, this sedimentary rock layer that's so enormously widespread because several of the other layers that are exposed at Grand Canyon are, are, are the same, isn't that right? Yeah. Some of those layers, you know, kind of more regional. Some of those like um, near the top, you know, Todd, you were talking about going down the Coconino Sandstone. Well, that layer of rock we find from Mexico all the way up into Canada. Yeah. And so if you have a distribution of that size and enormity across the continent, I mean, this is a pretty big event. Uh, similar to with that grand staircase you were talking about, Paul, we've got layers up there like the Navajo Sandstone, which is one of the single thickest sandstone layers on the continent here. And uh, the geologists that are there, they talk about the Navajo Sandstone. And they say that the Navajo sandstone there came from the Appalachians. It was eroded from there and transported across the continent and somehow deposited here. Yet they're still trying to figure out how in the world they got from there thousands of miles over here to this location. And I'm looking and saying, yep, there's a big flood. There's a lot of water that carries and transports stuff. And so, you know, we are still doing ongoing research and finding things. I mean, um, some of those studies by like John Whitmore. Uh, who's the Cedarville University professor there doing geology, studying places like the Navajo Sandstone, and, and really, I think, finding good, solid evidence that this, for example, was not deposited by wind-blown sand in a desert Aeolian environment, but this is waterborne sediment. And so, of course, it starts to point to a global flood event. Yeah. So we've got these widespread 
um, sedimentary layers. Uh, they mostly contain marine fossils. You know, if you look in the Kaibab limestone or the Redwall limestone, so you got these marine fossils high above sea level. I mean, how 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 high is Grand Canyon above sea level, Nate? Yeah, so on the south rim, we're typically 7,000 to 7,400 feet. Uh, the north rim gets nearly 9,000 feet up on the rim. Yeah, so you've got these marine fossils in these widespread sedimentary rock layers um, and uh, often transported, as you say, long distances. So you yeah. can do these kind of provenance studies where you can work out you know, where, the, where the sand has come from. Um, one of the really interesting things that I, I remember seeing when I was in Grand Canyon um, was uh, the nautiloid mm. bed in the Redwall limestone, um, which Steve Austin has described. T tell us about that, because it's just such a fabulous example of um, rapid deposition of, of fossils and rapid deposition of sediments. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up Steve. I was just out here with Steve Austin last week. I brought him out to do some field research in the area, some discoveries that he and I have been working on. And, you know, we had our paper at ICC, so we're still continuing to do research. I mean, Real scientists doing real, real research. Imagine that. Yeah. Um, so Steve Austin, though, um, one of the premier guys who has studied these nautiloids in the Grand Canyon. And so a nautiloid is kind of like the type of squid that lives in this long you know, shell, almost shaped like an ice cream cone or like a long cigar. And so they are found at the bottom of the Redwall limestone in a layer known as the Whitmore layer. And so that's kind of a six to seven foot thick bed right at the bottom of the Redwall. So Steve Austin noticed that there's a lot of those there. So they started to analyze them to start to kind of do some counts and surveys. And also, importantly, to kind of look at the orientation or the direction. And so they're tracing them through the Grand Canyon. He was doing research studies there. You can find the same nautiloid bed from there all the way on eastern Grand Canyon, all the way to Las Vegas and beyond. So estimations in the millions and millions of these nautiloids that they estimate are found throughout this layer. And they started doing orientation, you know, calculations and figuring out which direction they're pointing and orienting. And by and large, there is a strong prevalence of orientation to these nautiloids that are found in the fossil record there. Which makes no sense, really, if they were simply living in an ocean for millions of years, slowly falling to the ocean floor different ways and slowly, you know, being covered by sediment, slowly becoming fossils. That makes no sense if they're all oriented. It's not like if I'm a nautiloid and I, I get ready to die and I tell my, my son, hey, when I die, I want you to go and bury me right next to Pappy, just how he died, right? Lay me next, right next to him. I'm not going to do that. But what we see is there's orientation, there's directionality, which indicates that this entire bed of sediment, this entire bed of these nautiloids was not slow, gradual deposition. But this is a catastrophic blow, you might say, that we believe that buried them and oriented them because the direction of the water concurrent and the way that you know, the, almost like a weather vane, you might say, it oriented these nautiloid shells. And so it indicates that this whole sequence was a rapid burial by fast moving water. Sounds like yeah. a flood. <laughs> it does. It does. There, there are so many ways that, you know, Grand Canyon testifies to the, the judgment that took place in, in, in the you know days of Noah. Um, one of the other things that we saw uh, when... We went into the canyon, and talking about the Redwall kind of reminded me is Redwall Cavern. Ah, um, yes. Uh, you know this. This was incredible because you, you kind of come round the. I don't know whether you come round a bend in the river, and you begin. Yep. You catch that sort of first sight of Redwall Cavern, and at first it just looks like a little notch in in the base of the cliff. And as you get closer, you again you realise how you'd misjudged the scale. This 
this mm-hmm. cavern is enormous. And we disembarked, you know, and we we kind of looked looked around Red, Redwall Cavern. I mean, it's it's big enough to hold like a concert in, isn't it? And have a, have a huge audience. It's massive. Absolutely, <laughs> it's my favorite feature in the Grand Canyon. Um, yeah. And so, on some of the river trips we go on, we have Dr. Danny Faulkner from Answers in Genesis. We do astronomy and geology trips. And so, Danny and I love the Redwall Cavern so much that we have established the Royal Order of the Redwall. And so, you can join that, Paul, if you would like. If you like Redwall Cavern, if that's your favorite layer, we would love to accept you as a member in the Royal Order of the Redwall. It is a beautiful cavern. You're right. And it's a massive, huge cavern from the river. You barely even know what it is. And you get in there, and um, it's said that back in 1869, when John Wesley Powell first went through there, he surveyed and estimated that you could fit 40,000 people within this huge cavern. It's a massive, wow. huge amphitheater-like cavern with beautiful sand in there. It's, it's, it is my personal favorite feature on all these river trips. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, wow. yeah, fabulous. I mean, there's just so many things to see. Um, and I was, you know, in preparation for, for recording this episode with you, I was thinking of back and looking through my photos of the, yeah. the Grand Canyon trip. And so many good memories came back of things that, things that we'd seen. Um, one of the other things, Nate, that I just wanted to talk to you about, um, and again, you know, it was one of the things I saw uh, on on the trip was we did a hike into Carbon Canyon, and we saw that incredible fold. So you talked about the Tapete Sandstone, uh, but there is this incredible fold in the Tapete Sandstone where it's kind of just, uh, yeah, it's been twisted sort of vertically uh, by the uplift of the plateau. You've you've got the um, the East Kaibab um, monocline. Right. Um, and I know Andrew Snelling has been doing a bit of research on uh, this folding. I'm sure you know about that. So ju- just just tell our listeners a bit about what he's discovered. Yeah, absolutely. So we do have multiple folds within the Grand Canyon, especially within the Tapete Sandstone. And that Carbon Canyon fold is one of the most spectacular of those folds. Uh, the entire sequence has been folded up basically in 90 degrees. And um, folks can see that in the, the new film, the uh, Is Genesis History Mountains After the Flood film. And that showcases the research project that we did with Dr. Snelling. And so uh, right away, you see our founder, Tom Vale and Paula and our whole trip. So we did that trip for them uh, in 2017, kind of a joint trip. And you get to really see this beautiful fold in the rock. And so what we look at with this fold is it seems to us that this is what we call, you know, soft sediment deformation. In other words, this entire package of the Tapete Sandstone was deposited fairly rapidly and then bent and folded rapidly, uh, fairly quickly, I would say, before it had a chance to really, you know, lithify, to really become solid rock. Um, This thing is bent. And so what we see is it's really difficult to bend solid rock, right? You know, if you have a slab of concrete, I know that, Todd, you are a super strong guy there. But even if you were to bend that, it's going to take a little bit of strength. But even if you try to bend it, it's going to fracture. It's going to snap, right? What you need to do if you're going to bend that concrete and bend it smoothly in places, you need to be able to bend it while it was still soft and pliable and plastic, you might say. Kind of like plaster of Paris or concrete. It, you know, it sets up, it firms up. But what you need to do to make an impression or to bend it is while it's still soft. That's the case that we see with many rock folds in the Grand Canyon especially the carbon fold. Now, there are some cracks and fractures in different places, but by and large, we see a lot of smooth, unbroken, uniform features. And the research that Andrew was especially doing was showing that this has not been bent or folded through tectonic pressure, through metamorphic pressures and things like that. Um, If that's the case, if we have enough heat and pressure to bend and to 
move that rock, then it would cause metamorphic changes within the rock, especially at the bins. So the, the research sample was getting from the, uh, a sample collected from the area with permits from the park to go down to collect those samples, take them back, put them under the microscope, and really truly see has there been, you know, deformation within the material by, you know, metamorphic uh, pressures and heat. Um, and so the result that we're looking at is, no, this was not bent out of shape by, you know, typical tectonic force, the slow, gradual processes over millions of years. This was bent while it was still soft and unconsolidated, un unlithified, you might say. In other words, it shows us this entire package, we believe, was deposited rapidly. And then quickly after that, the whole thing was bent out of shape. And what that tells us is it did not take millions of years of slow, gradual accumulation for this entire sequence of the tapetes to be deposited. It was deposited all together as a package, and then it was bent out of shape as a package fairly recently or fairly quickly after it was deposited, you would say. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's very interesting research, and people can go and check out Andrew's papers. He's been publishing a series of papers in the Answers Research Journal. So we'll we'll link to that in the in the show notes. Um and then we, we we talked there about the uplift of the Colorado Plateau, um, which was really when when this sort of folding happened. But then once the the plateau had been uplifted, of course, Grand Canyon itself was then carved through that uplifted plateau. And I know you've been doing some research. Um, we talked a bit about that when we did the ICC episode. But just just for those who didn't hear that, just remind our listeners what what your um, doing with uh, Steve Austin there to research how the Grand Canyon was carved. Yeah, so one of the ideas of Grand Canyon formation, and really I, I would see most creation geologists out there tend to hold to an idea that the Grand Canyon itself was carved in a post-flood event, a post-flood, more regional catastrophic event. And that has to do with some mass, massive, huge lake systems that were ponded up in the middle of the Colorado Plateau. Now that Colorado Plateau is not exactly flat across the Colorado Plateau is actually shaped like a giant bowl, and it has kind of a big rim of mountains on the, on the perimeter. So naturally, in that bowl, you would have a big, massive water system collect. And so we see that this massive lake system held thousands of cubic miles of water. And one of the areas that we really have been researching for the last three or four years has been this area known as Hopi Lake, sometimes known as Lake Bitahochi. This was identified back in the 1800s, guys like uh, John S. Newberry, who discovered this and really had to do with some of the original ideas of Grand Canyon formation. Originally, geologists looked at the Grand Canyon, and they said this appears to have been carved out catastrophically by a lot of water. That was actually some of the first original ideas. And so some geologists now, even everyday secular geologists, not creationists, not Christians, are actually starting to go back to that idea and look at maybe there's catastrophe and basically a lake spillover. This Kaibab Plateau would have acted as a natural earthen dam and this water from a massive lake system would have been rising up and either by spillover or somehow maybe an earthquake that triggered a break, some different mechanism. But it starts this triggering event where water starts to spill through the plateau. And as it does, it cuts down into it. Well, you start to erode the plateau. You erode the wall of the dam and more water starts to surge through. More water means more erosion. More erosion means more water. And pretty soon you end up with a catastrophic exponential runaway process that basically drains thousands of cubic miles of water through one single exit route, and it carves its escape route as it drains off the plateau. So our research is really focused on this Hopi Lake, this Lake Bitahochi region, because one of the things that people have talked about is if there was a big lake, we should see perhaps shorelines from that lake. 
And so I think what we're looking at, what we're identifying are these shoreline terraces that we've been identifying. And so Steve Austin and a few other guys, I had them come out uh, last year to do some work on that. And then they just came out last week. We had a few people that came out to take a look at this. And so we had Dr. Steve Austin and Tom Folks, who's another one of our research paper authors, um, came out here. And we brought uh, Mike Ord as well to come out here and take a look at this landscape and to really just spend two or three days surveying this whole area and going out to the Bidahochi Formation, which is this freshwater lake system. And so it's neat. It's exciting that, yes, as scientists, we do have theories and we test those theories and we do research. And so, yeah, creation scientists can do real research, real work in the field. And so that's the exciting thing. We still have theories we're working on and developing. And I think it's an exciting time to live when we can do good science and good uh, good work like that. So uh, we're hoping to have some more research done, but you can see that paper should be published when the ICC publishes all those papers from the proceedings. And so we have do have a kind of a lengthy, more technical paper on that there. That's so, absolutely fabulous. And it is exciting to see all of this uh, research going on and you know, to, to see a prediction being made like that. You know, if there was this lake, we ought to find these lake terraces. And then you go out and you found some things that look like lake terraces. So yeah. what do you know? So can yeah, I, can really I clarify this, this lake issue for everybody listening mm. and watching here? Um, when you talk sure. about finding these lakes uh, out there, you're not talking about a body of water anymore, right? Correct. This yeah, is we're where... A lake was. Right, where a lake Got was. It. And so if you're looking for where a lake of that size was, you'd expect to find some lake bed sediment, which we believe is that bit Got of Hochi it. formation. And you'd expect to find a place where the lake would have maybe been cutting into the landscape or what we call as a, a you know, transgressive rising lake shore. And so sure. that's what we're looking at. The Got water's it. completely gone. You're right, Todd. It's yeah. gone. It's yeah. drained through the Grand Canyon. Because <laughs> I'm thinking, all the yeah, northern Arizona, there ain't no lake up there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't have a water right here, you know. But uh, we're looking for, you know, what is the the fingerprint of where the lake could have been? And so that's, I think, what we've been working on identifying. Looking at a uh, tufa, which are you know, uh, calcium carbonate deposits from a freshwater lake system and things like that. So we're looking for the smoking gun, so to speak. And yeah. so uh, yeah. we're working on that research right now. And and Lake Hopi, Lake Bidahochi here, that's pretty big. That or that was pretty big. If if mm -hmm. you drive east along the interstate there from Flagstaff out of the state, you're basically driving across what was that lake, right? I mean, that's basically yeah. the lake yep. there. Yeah. So that's a yeah, that's a large area. Very large area. The yeah. Bidahochi Basin, we oftentimes refer to it as and you can see it. yesterday I was actually leading a tour through Wapatki National Monument, looking at some native ruins. But you can basically you drive into that base and you can look all the way across to the other side to the Hopi Buttes, where the other shoreline area would have been. And it's a massive, huge basin. And in some places, that lake, we estimate, would have been over, you know, a thousand to maybe two thousand feet deep in some places. Wow. This is a big body of water. Yeah. Yeah. And gone now. Wow. Gone now. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. Uh, there, there's so much to talk about, and we 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 could we could go on and talk about lots of other lots of other aspects of Grand Canyon. But I wanted to come on in this kind of last um, part of the podcast to think about Grand Canyon as a testimony to God's glory. Um, and you know, I I I realize you know for many people when they come to Grand Canyon, it's it really is a life changing experience. It was a life changing yeah. experience for Tom Vale. Um, and uh, it is for for many others. And uh, you know, you 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 stand there on the rim and you look out 
at this remarkable vista. And it's humbling. You feel very small and, you know, you, you get a sense of, you know, how enormous this feature is. And, um, yeah, uh, and it really kind of puts you in your place. Uh, so tell us, Nate, just about maybe some of the testimonies that you might have heard from people who've, you know, shared uh, Grand Canyon, uh, you know, with you on these tours and some of the experiences people have had. And, yeah, just just share about that, please. Oh, yeah. I mean, I have spent right around a thousand tour days in the Grand Canyon National Park myself with folks on there, thousands of people. And there are so many stories I could tell you of people's, you know, first view of the Grand Canyon, literally just being moved to tears at the sight of that and just saying how good God is that we see such incredible beauty. Uh, I've had people on tours. I had one guy from, from Arizona here who'd seen the Grand Canyon about 50 different times, he said. And he said, you know, I've seen this, you know, 40, 50 times, but I feel like today I've seen it for the very first time. I never knew what the significance of this, you know. And so when we look at a place like the Grand Canyon, absolutely, we can see the beauty on display. We can see God's glory on display, but it goes further and deeper than that. When you understand what we are actually looking at, it's a massive watery graveyard of that flood in Noah's day. We're standing on top of thousands of feet of layers of destruction. Yet even in that destruction, we see amazing beauty, right? God has given us beauty from ashes, you might say. God has taken something, even the destruction of the flood, but he's created something that five to six million people every year come to marvel at and to delight in his works. And you see that that God has created this beautiful landscape, really from destruction. And in many ways, what that says to me, Paul, is it shows us the heart of God, that God is all about the business of redemption and of restoration. God as a righteous judge has to judge sin. But what he didn't have to do was give us a beautiful, incredible world as a result of that destruction. God has chosen to give us beauty around the world. It's a testimony of his heart of love for us that in the post-flood world, we can still marvel at his works and say, wow, look at that. And the Grand Canyon is a testimony of that. And so when people gain that understanding of looking at the Grand Canyon and realizing as beautiful as it is, it's really a sign of destruction. Yet in that God has given us incredible things. It really shows us, boy, God really does love us. God really is all about redemption and restoration. In many ways, we talk about the flood and the ark in Noah's day as a way of salvation. The rocks of the canyon, you might say those rocks cry out, and they are a testimony of that flood event. They're a testimony of, of the ark and of the salvation that God gave to Noah and his family and those animals. But that ark and that event are really a foreshadowing of the salvation provided to us today through Jesus Christ. Not a wooden door and a wooden ark, but through the door, which is Jesus Christ himself. And that's what he said. Behold, I am the door, right? And so we can enter through that door of salvation through Jesus Christ. And so when we take people on these trips, whether it's a four-hour rim tour or a nine-day river trip, we are showing them the heart of God on display and the plan of salvation is clearly laid out for us. The canyon is a testimony of the judgment in Genesis, and it also speaks to the judgment in Revelation, but it also speaks to the love, the mercy, the redemption of God that is available for, for all if we simply choose to walk through the door, which is Jesus Christ. And so there is so much on display at the canyon. And that ultimately is what people walk away with. 
a deeper knowledge of God, a closer relationship with him. Our purpose, our goal really is to bring glory to God through that canyon and to help people move one step closer to heaven. And so they see that and people walk away with lives changed and transformed. And I still get emails and messages and talking to people from river trips that I did, you know, nearly 10 years ago. And it's, uh, God has a way of speaking through his creation. We just help get them there. And we serve as a voice in the wilderness, a literal wilderness there to show the glory of God. And it is so exciting. Yeah. I, you're absolutely right. And I, I remember another occasion when I was in Grand Canyon, not on the river trip, but I was doing field work with John Whitmore on the Coconino project. And mm -hmm. a group of us uh, were, were in the canyon and a storm came over and we kind of sheltered, you know, from the rain. And it was very spectacular. And the, the thunder sort of bounced off the walls of the canyon and echoed around the canyon. It was it was amazing experience. And then, of course, after the storm, you know, we have the rainbow. And if you put those those things together, we've got Grand Canyon, this testimony to judgment, and you've got the rainbow over the canyon, uh, a testimony to God's grace and his, you know, his his restraint in giving us time to repent and to come to him. And you, you know, we see those two things together, don't we? We see judgment and we see God's mercy. And uh, it, it also just makes me, when we see the beauty of this, world that has been marred and spoilt by sin and and uh we, we've had the the destruction of the flood and yet it's this world of such incredible beauty you know i wonder what the the new heavens and the new earth are going to be like when when those how much more beautiful how much more wonderful they that they're going to be uh so yeah it's it's absolutely a fantastic place to you know remind us of all of that todd um any anything to add I don't know. I mean, this has been a pretty tremendous episode. I'm yeah. very thankful for creation and for people like Nate who can take us through and point it out to us. I lead, I lead my own little uh, nature tours here in Tennessee, and it is remarkable how, how much people get out of it when you just show them things. You just sort of stop and sort of settle down and look at this rock over here, look at this plant over here, and tell them a story. Um, it's a powerful, powerful thing. And, and to, to do that, to, ha to have the privilege of doing that in Grand Canyon, <laughs> that's, that would be amazing. <laughs> that would be amazing. Yeah. 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 And one of, one of my enduring memories, you know, of, of being in the canyon on the river trip were, were the times when we were able to have devotions together in the canyon. I mean, what a, what a place, what, you know, what a place to worship God and to read his word and, with all of this incredible stuff around you, I, just such a memorable experience. So, Nate, if people want to find out more about Canyon Ministries and they want to come on one of these trips, how do they find out more information about you? Yeah, so the easiest way is to simply visit our website, canyonministries.org. Or if somehow they can't remember that name, just Google search Grand Canyon Christian Tour, Grand Canyon Creation Tour, Grand Canyon Ministry. Uh, we'll be the first thing up there. We are the only daily operating creation tour in the Grand Canyon National Park. Um, so they can find us on there. They can also find us on things like TripAdvisor and things like that. Uh, neat thing is uh, we are rated the number one activity out of 49 activities. So number one outdoor activity in the Grand Canyon National Park on TripAdvisor. So a lot of people find out through that way, too, just jumping on wow. and, and reading information and finding wow. out about that. So um, and the best thing that people can do is tell their friends about us. So if they've got somebody coming out, 
you know, send them our way. And they don't have to be Christian believers. We take anybody from all walks of faith or no faith at all and just to show them God's creation. So that's the easiest way. Go on our website. That's great. Well, uh, do go and check out the website. We'll put a link to that, obviously, in the show notes. And uh, yeah, we, we hope that people will go and support the ministry and, and find out more about what you do. Nate, it's been absolutely fabulous to have you. Um, uh, it's, been, it's been really a great episode. And uh, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, you're very welcome. It was great to be with you guys again. Thank you. Uh, everybody, do remember um, our fundraising uh, drive at the moment. Do remember you can go to letstalkcreation.org and you'll find links uh, as to how you can support the podcast. Uh, also, you can go if, to corsi.org if you're in the US. If you're in the UK or in Europe, you can go to biblicalcreationtrust.org. Um, we really do appreciate it. We, we're very grateful uh, for all of our listeners and everybody who supports us. Uh, well, that's that's it. I think uh, it's time to wind up this episode, but we will be back uh, in another couple of weeks. I'm not sure what we're going to be doing um, then, but uh, come and join us. And uh, I'm, I'm sure it'll be fun, what, whatever it is. So we'll see you in a couple of weeks. See you later. Thanks for listening to this episode of Let's Talk Creation. For more information, visit us at letstalkcreation.org, where you'll find an archive of past episodes in all our show notes. If you'd like to leave a comment or make a suggestion, you can find us on all the major social media platforms. Let's Talk Creation is brought to you in the U.S. by Core Academy of Science and in the U.K. by Biblical Creation Trust. As a listener-supported ministry, we are grateful for all of your financial support. Find out how you can make a contribution at our website, letstalkcreation.org. Also remember to like, subscribe, and share this episode with your friends. Thanks, and see you next time.